This is Numbers 22, 1 through 20. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the river, in his native land. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will bring you back to the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabites princes stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak, Balak's princes, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other princes, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me his place filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord, of my, of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight, as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. So that night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do, not, but do only what I tell you. Amen. We're in a series about the lesser-known Bible characters to find out how their stories can make a difference in our lives. Now, Balaam is mostly known for his donkey. You might even say that his donkey is more famous than he is. But we'll get to his donkey in just a few minutes. Now, Scripture tells us that Balaam is a fortune teller by trade. He made money because people would pay him to curse people, to curse others. See, religion was a business for him. It was not a matter of the heart. 
but he was really good at what he did because the king of Moab, Balak, or Balak, again, who knows, right? <laughs> but he's heard of Balaam, and so he sends messengers out to him. And here's the situation. See, the people of Israel, they've left slavery in Egypt, and they're traveling towards the promised land, and now they're camped out in Moab. And the people of Moab have heard about the Israelites. They've heard about their victories, and they're terrified. They're terrified about this group of people. Even the king is afraid. He says that the mob will devour everything in its sight. And so the king sends his messengers to Balaam. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, he says. They cover the face of the earth, and they're threatening me. They're threatening me. I didn't hear that in Scripture, did you? No. Please come and curse these people for me, because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless, and curses fall on people you curse. Did you hear what the king said? These people are too powerful for me. The power of the God of Israel was very well known. Now, Balaam's reputation is really clear in Balak's last statement. Those you bless will be blessed. Those you curse will be cursed. Balaam was so well known. You know, these messengers from Balak, they've traveled 300 miles each way. There were no planes, trains, and automobiles to get there. So on foot, it took three weeks, one way, to get there. That's how well-known Balaam was and how terrified Balak was over the Israelites on his land. So Balaam welcomes them in his home, these messengers. And he says, I will tell you in the morning what the Lord says. Wait a minute. Balaam is a fortune teller, but he just called God Lord. Hmm. See, even he recognizes the power of God. Huh. So then it says that God came to Balaam. Notice Balaam did not call God to him. He does not have that power. God goes where he wants. God goes to Balaam. And he says to him, who are these people? Wait, well, wait a minute. Why, why is God going to a fortune teller? We're not supposed to go to fortune tellers. We're not supposed to play with the div divination stuff. So why is God coming to a fortune teller? Because God can use whoever he wants. That's why. God can use Balaam the same way that he used Pharaoh to free the Israelites. Pharaoh wasn't a believer. The same way that God used Caesar Augustus to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill a prophecy. God can go and use anybody he wants because he's God. So God tells Balaam, don't go with those messengers. You're not to curse these people. For I have 
Bless them. So then the next morning, we start to see a little bit of Balaam's double-mindedness come through. This is when he tells the messengers, the Lord will not let me go with you. And he doesn't say the rest. It's a half-truth. Balaam doesn't reveal the full reason why he can't go because he really wants to go. But he knows he shouldn't. He's being tempted by the riches. And he knows that if he told them the full story, the full reason why he couldn't go, then they wouldn't come back. No would have actually meant no. But right now, Balaam's no means maybe. Possibly. So the messengers go back to Balak with this half-truth. The Lord will not let him go. So Balak is now willing to sweeten the deal a little bit. He's going to offer more money. In fact, this is the message that Balak Balak gets. I will pay you very well, and I'll do whatever you tell me. Oh, so now he's being offered riches and power. Oh, that's a lot of temptation. This is what is said by Balaam. Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. There it is again. Listen closely. But, but, stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. You see, Balaam's trying to put up a good spiritual image by calling the Lord my God. He's trying to look good as a servant of this powerful God. He knows he's powerful. Oh, let's, let's, put on, let's put on some spiritual clothing here. I can look good before these messengers. He's pretending that he will not transgress the Lord's command. While in his heart, he's desiring and he's coveting that offer that's before him. Because following his statement, I am powerless against the will of God, he says, but, but, I will see if the Lord has anything else to say. A better paraphrase of that is, I'll see if I can get the Lord to change his mind and make my will his will. I'll try to get him to see that my way is better. Balaam, what part of no didn't you understand? He really wants that money. He really wants that promotion. But to get it, he has to go against that powerful God. You see, the first time he asked God about going, he really wanted to know the right or wrong answer. Do I go, Lord, or not go? But the second time he asked, he already knows the right or wrong answer. God already told him, no. Now he's asking for the privilege of doing what he knows is wrong. He's flirting with temptation. He's not running from it. He's running towards it. He really wants that money. He really wants that promotion. But he's trying to stay on good terms with God. What he's trying to do is please himself 
without displeasing God. It's a good example of having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You see, our temptations aren't always about money. Temptation is anything that draws us away from God. Temptation is anything that looks to satisfying our own desires, our own wants of the flesh, rather than our spiritual needs. Our temptations are about our comfort, taking the easier path, using our time the way we want, using our gifts and talents the way we want. Our temptations are about us feeling good and having things our way. That's what the world tells us. If it makes you feel good, then it is good. If it makes you feel good, it can't possibly be wrong. It has to be right if you feel good. So what we end up doing is we find people to agree with us. We find ways to rationalize. We find ways to get permission for our wrong choices. Deep down inside, we know they're wrong. Otherwise, we wouldn't care what other people thought. Because if God said it, we would do it. But no, we look to rationalize. We look for permission, just like Balaam did. Over the years, I've had people come to me for advice. I, I really, I need to leave my spouse. No, you don't. No, well, how about if I, if I do it this way? That's okay, right? No. Well, but what about this? See, I can do it this way. Then, then God will be okay with it. No. I'm no longer friends with that person because I didn't give them the answer they wanted. We look for advice and permission on skipping church. Oh, something else came along. And I'm not talking about work. I'm not talking about one-time things. I'm talking about habitual skippers. Unfortunately, those ones probably aren't here to hear the message today. Or those that... I I just can't get into God's word. But that's okay, right? Because I go to church. No. We're always looking for permission for our bad choices. We have to be careful that when we're asking others for advice, that we aren't really asking for permission to do the wrong thing. Asking for advice is a good thing. Scripture says seek godly advice. But sometimes we're not looking for advice. We're looking for permission to do the wrong thing. We flirt with our temptation. We call it compromise. I heard an old saying once that said, if you don't plan on going in the house, stay off the porch. Why would you put yourself in a situation that you know is wrong? 
It's a lot harder to run away from temptation if you keep moving towards it. When temptation knocks on the door, don't answer it. If Balaam had done that, he would have saved himself a lot of trouble. But we like to think we have it under control. We think that we have a better way. Anyone here ever prefer your way over God's way at the beginning? Have you ever tried to get God to agree with you and your way? Or maybe you tried to pretend you didn't hear God. What was that, Lord? I'm not sure I heard you correctly. You're cutting out, Lord. I have bad connection. I'll have to call you back. You know, I've shared with you the move that Jay and I made to Hollywood when, when that was occurring. You know, and when I would do my prayer walks around the church here, and we were still living in Weston, and God telling me, you know you have to move to Hollywood. You know I need you to move to Hollywood no, you don't, Lord. No, I don't think so. And I didn't tell anybody because I wanted to ignore it. I wanted to pretend. I didn't hear God say that. I was comfortable where I was. Who likes to move? Nobody. Nobody likes to move. It's a terrible thing. But then God sent me a messenger that said, so when are you going to move? What are you talking about? Nobody knows that. God didn't tell me that. But God knew that I had heard his voice, and he was sending a messenger to knock me off and say, Yeah, you heard me. You're disobeying me, and now I'm going to send someone that's going to make you pay attention. That's exactly what happens to Balaam. And then once I got out of my own stuff and said, you're right, Lord, I'm not listening. And once I, I came to his will instead of mine, because I was coming up with every excuse. Lord, financially, it can't happen. It can't happen for this. No, I, Lord, look, it, it's not, this isn't possible. You know, once I came away to his way of thinking, then suddenly everything opened up. And it was possible only because he was in it. No matter what excuse I came up with, he knocked it down. Temptation's always there. When God asks you to do something or not do something, he's looking for our obedience. He's not looking for our interpretation of what he says. It's do or do not. Not, oh, maybe. Or if this, then this. No. With God, it's yes or no. There's no in between. So God tells Balaam, okay, go with the men. But say and do only what I tell you. So Balaam arose in the morning. He saddles his donkey, and he goes with the leaders of Moab. But it says God was angry. Because he was going. Why would God let him go and then be angry? Because God knew that Balaam's attitude was bad. Balaam was focused on the prize money. He was focused 
on what he was going to get. Peter writes about it in 2 Peter 2.15. Peter's writing about people who displease God. He says, They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. See, God is angry because Balaam is going with a greedy, sinful heart. You know, doing the right thing with a bad attitude or the right thing with a greedy, selfish motivation is still not the right thing to do. You can't dress it up. What's this say? You can't put lipstick on a pig. You can't dress up your bad attitude and try to fool God. It doesn't happen. So Balaam starts on his way. And then God sends an angel of the Lord to stand in the road and block the way. Starting in verse 23. Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the, ro- in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field. But Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crush Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Now we're learning a little more about Balaam by his reaction. Does he even realize that he's carrying on a rational conversation with a donkey? And that the donkey is making more sense than he is? He is so focused on getting what he wants. He's so focused on satisfying his wants. And he's so fake focused on what God, what he wants God to say that he misses what's happening right before his eyes. That donkey is talking. The Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. Balaam doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't notice it at all. Sometimes in our own lives, we're so focused on, we what, on what we want to happen and having things go the way that we want, that we miss what God is actually doing right before our eyes. You see, our temptations, our desire for our way, we miss what God is actually doing. Our temptations and our desires, when left unchecked, when we don't stop them, they take over. They cloud our vision and we can't see God and his work. Even in our reading of this text, 
we usually put our focus on, hey, look, the donkey is talking. And then we completely miss the point of why the donkey is talking. And we miss the point of why Balaam doesn't recognize the fact that the donkey is talking. The second thing we notice in Balaam's reaction is his concern about being seen as a fool. Kind of ironic that he's carrying on a conversation with a donkey who's behaving better than he is, and he's worried about the donkey making him look like a fool. Who's the real donkey here? The point is that when our will is lined up with God's, and we're motivated by our love for God and our obedience to him, we don't care what others think about us. We're happy to be called a fool for God when we know he's in it. We're content to be labeled a fool for the cause of Christ. It's only when we're afraid of our real intentions being found out. That's when we care what others think. When we're worried about that spiritual clothing that we've put on, we're worried about when that falls off, what are people going to think? But when God is in it, when we're confident that God is with us, we don't care what others think. But Balaam did, because he wasn't really in it for God. He was in it for himself. Our text continues in verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. The Lord tells him, go with these men, but only say what I tell you to say. So Balaam continues, and he meets up with Balak, and this is what he tells him. Look, now I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. But the thing about temptation, unless it's stomped out, Satan will keep bringing it back up to you. You see, in chapter 23, Balak asked Balaam to curse the Israelites again. So Balaam goes to God, and instead, the Israelites come out with a blessing. Balak is less than pleased, so he asks Balaam, go back, ask that Lord again, and again. And each time, the Israelites receive a blessing, not a curse. Picking up in Numbers 24, verse 10, it says, King Balak flew into a rage against Balaam. He angrily clapped his hands and shouted, I called you to curse my enemies. Instead, you have blessed them three times. Now get out of here. Go back home. I promise to reward you richly, but the Lord has kept you from your reward. 
Balaam told Balak, don't you remember what I told your messengers? I said, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord. I told you that I could say only what the Lord says. Now I'm returning to my own people, but first let me tell you what the Israelites will do to your people. And so he goes ahead and tells Balak what's about to happen. But now if we leave the story right there, we think that Balaam overcame temptation. We think that, wow, he came around, he learned the power of the Lord. But scripture actually tells us a different ending. He couldn't get his focus off the prize. He couldn't get his eyes off the money. And so he succumbs to the temptation. If we read Revelation 2.14, it says this. I have a few complaints against you, church in Pergamum. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. What really happens is in the 25th chapter in Numbers, there's a description about how the Moabites used Balaam's information to harm the Israelites and cause them to rebel against the Lord. Balaam never said no to the temptation. He said, maybe. He said, possibly. He came so close. It's interesting because in one of the blessings that Balaam declares on the Israelites, this is what he claimed for himself. In Numbers 23.10, he said, let me die like the righteous. Let my life end like theirs. But you can't die the death of the righteous unless you're living the life of the righteous. Balaam wasn't willing to do that. We can't do it if we're double-minded. You see, Balaam put on a good spiritual show. He used all the right words to be impressive. He dressed up his actions in spiritual clothing to hide his double-mindedness and to hide his selfish motives. But in the end, God knew his heart. There's no fooling God. We all face temptations. Our Savior faced temptation. Your temptations may not be the same as mine. But they're still there. Temptations in and of themselves, they're not the sin. But what we do with the temptation, that's what leads to sin. We have to learn from, we have to learn to run from them, not towards them. Temptation is all about what you allow to keep your attention. And whatever has your attention has you. James tells us in 114 that temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that temptations in our life are no different from what others experience. But God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God sent Balaam a way out. He sent a messenger in the form of a donkey to alert him of the danger ahead. You're on the wrong path. Get your heart checked. God doesn't want any one of us to succumb to temptation. So he sends us a way out, sometimes by way of a messenger, a Bible verse, a sermon, a song, a friend, something to warn us. But when it doesn't fit what we want it to be, when it doesn't fit what we want to hear, we try to ignore it. Or we get irritated at it, and then we take it out on the messenger. And in the process, we completely miss what God is doing. We miss the miracle around us, what he's doing right in front of our face. We have to commit to shutting down temptation. We have to learn to run away from it and run towards Jesus. We have to allow Jesus to capture our attention. We have to allow Jesus to be the center. Author C.S. Lewis wrote that there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. You see, Balaam's story didn't end well. With his mouth, he was telling God, thy will be done. But in his heart, he was still saying, no, my will be done. He chose not to run from temptation. He chose to run into it. Sometimes it's not all that obvious. Our temptations, they can creep in little by little. Until they're so big, we think, how did, how did I get here? That's why we have to keep Jesus in our focus. We need Jesus to grab our attention. Say, Lord, help me. I can't do it on my own. I need you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the example of Balaam. Some examples in scripture, Lord, you give us as as what to do. And then there are others like Balaam, Father, that you give us of what not to do. Father, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see the messengers you put in our path when we start down the wrong way. Father, help us to cast off our our stubbornness. Help us to cast off our self-righteous attitudes and run to you. Help us throw off the old, put on the new so we can stay focused on Jesus. 
In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.